Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Apesverse podcast. I'm Caroline, and today we will be exploring the impact of climate change on the occurrence and transmission of infectious diseases, specifically those which are vector-borne. Climate change. In today's industrial society, these are two heavily loaded words which have become increasingly difficult to avoid. Within the last 140 years, the global temperature has risen almost 2 degrees Fahrenheit, a number which the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change projects will only continue to climb. According to the National Climate Assessment, this global warming, in turn, has triggered other parts of Earth's systems to undergo change as well, most obviously seen in the intensification of extreme weather and climatic events, such as heat waves and droughts and shifts in precipitation patterns. Amongst all the events resulting from these variations, the impact of climate change has primarily revolved around images of glaciers melting and polar bears drifting into the abyss of the Arctic Sea. However, recent research from health professionals and climate change scientists linking global warming with the growing distribution of vector-transmitted diseases has led the public to pose the imminent question, what implications does climate change have for human health and the spread of infectious diseases? As defined by the World Health Organization, vector-borne diseases are illnesses generated by pathogens and parasites in human populations, which are then transmitted by vectors. Most vectors are blood-sucking insects, such as mosquitoes and ticks, which ingest disease-producing microorganisms from an infected host and later transfer them into a new host in a subsequent blood meal. One exemplary vector-borne pathogen, which has risen to a status of global importance, is the West Nile virus, a disease transmitted by the bite of a contaminated mosquito. In 2015, Professor Shlomit Paz, a climatologist and climate change researcher at the University of Haifa, conducted a study evaluating the impact of climate change on the transmission of the West Nile virus in a global context. Today, we are lucky enough to have the chance to speak with him. Speaking of, how are you doing today, Mr. Paz? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today's show. Of course. Now, would you mind giving us a quick debrief of your findings and what you believe these indicate for the future of vector-borne disease outbreaks? Yes, yes. Well, I should first preface this by establishing that the transmission of WNV is tied to a plethora of factors. Weather and other climatic conditions are merely one among many. However, they are an important one. As I stated in my research journal, weather conditions, in particular temperature, precipitation, and humidity, affect the survival and reproduction rates of the vectors, their habitat suitability, distribution, and abundance. Although laboratory experiments reveal that the virus is capable of replication across a wide variety of temperatures, the replication cycle was found to be completed more quickly in mosquitoes at higher temperatures. Additionally, a clear association was discovered between extreme heat and outbreak intensity in humans. Therefore, increased temperatures lead to a spike in the growth rate of vector populations, a decrease in the intervals between blood meals, and an acceleration in the virus evolution rate. Having determined this, I applied this knowledge to studying the global migration of WNV. Geographically, the virus first remained concentrated in Africa and Israel. However, in recent years, WNV has spread to various locations in Southern Europe, Western Asia, the Eastern Mediterranean, the Canadian prairies, parts of the USA, and Australia. Each of the aforementioned continents have undergone an increase in their temperature due to climate change. These warmer conditions facilitated the establishment of WNV in new areas through expanding the range and seasonal abundance of the vector species. Consequently, I concluded that both weather and climatic conditions, especially focusing on those related to temperature fluctuations, have led to an increase in the intensity and activity of the vector throughout the year. Thank you, Professor Paz, for sharing that insightful research, which suggests that we can indeed expect a change in the occurrence of WNV outbreaks as climate change becomes more prominent. Here to add to this discussion is Dr. Corey W. Morin, a member of the Department of Global Health and a professor in the Center for Health and the Global Environment. 
Morin worked with his colleague Andrew C. Comrie to investigate the regional and seasonal response of a West Nile virus vector to climate change. Hello, everyone. I hope that you're enjoying the podcast so far. To elaborate on Caroline's introduction, Comrie and I devised a study to project the potential impacts of climate change on the population of the West Nile virus mosquito vector, Colex quinquefasciatus, across the southern United States. In order to do this, we created the dynamic mosquito simulation model which used local precipitation and temperature inputs to generate mosquito population counts based on the environmental conditions at specific locations. Using this model, a general trend emerged which projected a mosquito season length increased by several weeks at both the start and the end of the current season, a result which aligns with Professor Paz's findings of increased vector activity accompanying climate change. However, despite widespread warming, the seasonal response of C. quinquefasciatus was not homogenous, thus demonstrating that populations will also rely on specific combinations of local and regional conditions. Thank you, Professor Morin. Before heading into our next subtopic, let's take a second to break down and process the information we've been given so far. Based upon the findings of both Professor Paz and Professor Morin, it is clear that there is an association between rising temperatures caused by global warming and rising activity in mosquito populations. However, the relationship between mosquito populations and other climatic factors, such as local and regional precipitation patterns, remains unclear. Moving forward, tests to investigate these relationships must treat temperatures at constant, thus necessitating a manufactured controllable environment to ensure no variability in heat. Ultimately, the studies mentioned thus far revolved around just one vector, the mosquito. Next, we will be taking a look at another prominent vector, the tick. The tick serves as the problematic vector of Lyme disease, an infectious disease which has also, according to the CDC, become the most common tick-borne illness in the U.S. Today, with the help of some more guest speakers, we will be answering the question, is Lyme disease affected by climate change? Speaking of guest speakers, Professor Ogden, a member of the Public Health Agency of Canada, is here with us to shed some light on this question. Yes, indeed I am. In 2014, my team and I devised a study to investigate the estimated effects of projected climate change on the basic reproductive number of Lyme disease vectors, Exodus scapularis. By applying observed temperature data for North America and projected temperatures using regional climate models to drive an iScapularis population model, we discovered that the increased temperatures due to projected climate change correlated with increased numbers in tick populations. This led us to conclude that climate warming may have co-driven the emergence of Lyme disease in northeastern North America and in future may drive substantial disease spread into new geographic regions and increase tick-borne disease risk where climate is currently suitable. Our current findings highlight the potential for climate change to have profound effects on vectors and vector-borne diseases and the need to refocus efforts to understand these effects. Wow, those are some serious conclusions which imply major issues for the future of human health in the face of climate change. Here to speak more on this topic is Professor Lindgren, who's a member of the Swedish government's Council on Climate Change Adaption. Thanks for reaching out to me, Caroline. I 100% agree with Professor Ogden that Lyme disease is highly sensitive to changes in seasonal climate. As is explained in my research, both the length of each season as well as daily temperatures and humidity are important factors for the survival, development, and activity of ticks. In general, ticks tend to be most active in warmer temperatures, as higher temperatures are needed for metamorphosis and egg hatching. Consequently, climate change and global warming have facilitated the spread of Lyme disease into higher latitudes and higher altitudes, where previously the climate was too cool to sustain tick activity. Furthermore, it seems probable that future climate change will lead to an extended and more intense Lyme disease transmission season in some regions, as the warmer temperatures will allow for more ticks to hatch and develop.
Although this existing data is not entirely reliable on a global scale, studies from specific areas such as those mentioned above have produced enough reliable long-term data sets to conclude that future climate change will impact the nature of Lyme disease. Its geographical distribution will extend northward, and its activity seasons will extend in length due to warmer temperatures. Therefore, climate change will not only impact vector-borne diseases carried by mosquitoes, but also those carried by ticks. Now for a quick commercial break. Sometimes I just want to take a bite out of this Play-Doh. Play-Doh's so good you can almost taste it. Yum! For our final section of today's podcast, we will investigate the effects of climate change on the range and prevalence of African sleeping sickness. African sleeping sickness is caused by the parasitic protozoa Trypanosoma brucai, which is spread to humans by the tsetse fly. For this reason, to answer the question of whether climate change affects the range and prevalence of sleeping sickness, we must answer the question of whether climate change affects the range and prevalence of the tsetse fly. Here today, we have guest speaker Fabrice Corton to shed some insight. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. In the years 1949 to 2009, there was a 25 to 150 kilometer north to south shift in the range of tsetse fly in the nation Burkina Faso. My research team and I studied the possible causes of this range shift. Did you find climate change to be the primary cause? That is a complicated question, but the short answer is not exactly. In addition to the range shift, there has been a significant decrease in the population of tsetse flies in Burkina Faso. This is evidence against the theory that climate change increases the risk of vector-borne diseases. However, the range shift and decrease in population of the tsetse fly could still be caused, at least in part, by climate change. In our research, we identified two primary factors that have led to the range shift and population decline drought, and the increase in human population. Tsetse flies need high hygrometry to survive, which means that they perish as a result of drought. Furthermore, their increase in human population has caused a significant decrease in the amount of vegetation and wildlife. Tsetse flies rely on vegetation for shelter and wildlife for food. For this reason, tsetse fly populations have declined and shifted south to where there are fewer people and the drought is less prevalent. Where climate change comes in is that it is likely the primary cause of the drought. So, while climate change is almost certainly a factor in the change in tsetse fly population dynamics, it is not the only factor, and is really more of an indirect cause. Thank you so much, Mr. Corton. Next up, we have Holly Wong here to offer another perspective on the question of whether climate change affects the range and prevalence of sleeping sickness. Hi, Ms. Wong. Thanks for bringing me on, Caroline. Unlike Corton's research, which looked into the causes of a phenomenon that has already occurred, my team's research projected future changes that will likely occur as a result of climate change. Another difference between Corton's and my research is that Corton's research focused on the vector of African sleeping sickness, the tsetse fly, while my team's research focused on the disease itself. Were your conclusions any different? Yes, in fact they were. Unlike Corton's team, who concluded that climate change was only a partial factor in the changes in the range of prevalence of sleeping sickness, we concluded that climate change is the primary factor in these changes, and that climate change will continue to cause more changes over the next 70 years. What kind of changes? Good question. We identify sleeping sickness as one of the 12 infectious diseases that are most likely to spread with the spread of climate change. Our model does not predict a large expansion of the range of the disease, but rather a large shift. We estimate that the range will shift by up to 60% by the year 2090. Furthermore, 46 to 77 million more people will be at risk of contracting African sleeping sickness as a result of higher tsetse fly population density. So in response to your initial question, climate change will cause a significant change in the range and prevalence of sleeping sickness. 
Now that we've heard from all of our guests, let's return to our question of whether or not climate change will impact the dynamics of vector-borne diseases. Sufficient research has demonstrated that the increase in global temperature, which accompanies climate change, has led to an intensification in the rate of development, reproduction, and survival of pathogens within vectors. In fact, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change lists vector-borne diseases among the consequences most likely to change due to global warming. This conclusion is an ominous one, one which threatens the future of human health globally. Therefore, in order to address this threat, it is imperative that we alert the general public of these implications, increase surveillance of vectors, continue to conduct research and collect data on the changing nature of vector-borne diseases, and ultimately work to reduce the rate of global warming and climate change in order to limit the potential damage these infectious diseases can have on the human population. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode of the Apes First podcast.